Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL Leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis. Welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. What a great show we have for you today with Kyle McClellan, former St. Louis Cardinal, president and founder of Brace for Impact, an amazing nonprofit here in St. Louis. But before we get to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast with Kyle, I want to thank my four great sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Enterprise Bank and Trust, and the Tom James Company. Crafted using your exact measurements, custom clothing is the perfect expression of who you are or who you tend to be. It's about getting what you want. The right fit, the right fabric, the right details, the right style. Ben Lawler with Tom James Company helps you choose from over 500 custom suit fabrics and 250 custom dress shirts. He can help you build your entire wardrobe, including suits, shirts, trousers, sports coats, and even tuxedos. To learn more, visit stlleaders.com. And now, to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. On this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast, I welcome Kyle McClellan. Kyle McClellan is a former St. Louis Cardinal and currently the founder and president for Brace for Impact. Kyle McClellan was born in Florissant, Missouri, graduated from Hazelwood West High School in 2002. While he was a three-sport athlete lettering in football, basketball, and baseball, McClellan was a two-time All-State selection in both pitcher and first base. McClellan's older brother, Matt, served as his high school pitching coach. McClellan signed with the Cardinals after being drafted by the club in 2002 and made his professional debut with St. Louis rookie franchise in Johnson City. He started out as a relief pitcher, but in 2003 and 2004 pitched exclusively as a starting pitcher. In 2005, McClellan made appearances out of the bullpen again until being sidelined by a torn ligament in his right elbow. On July 1st, McClellan underwent Tommy John surgery on July 22nd, 2005. After recovery and rehab from the procedure, he returned to pitching in 2006. McClellan won the 2011 World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. And now, working as the president and founder of Brace for Impact, he is making his name and his community very proud. It is my honor to welcome Kyle McClellan to the show. Kyle McClellan, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on here today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, obviously, a big fan uh, of the Birds, and uh, remember your days back with the Cardinals, and 
uh, had some great seasons. And so I'm excited to just kind of talk to you about that today. So let's, um, but let's get started really. Uh, obviously I know you grew up here in St. Louis area. Uh, what was growing up like here in St. Louis and, you know, you know, playing baseball and then what eventually led you to, to playing in the major league baseball? Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, grew up here, went to, uh, grew up in Hazelwood, Florissant area, uh, went to Hazelwood West high school. You know, I was a huge Cardinals fan growing up. Uh, my dad had season tickets through his company, worked for Oscar Meyer. And, uh, and so he oversaw the the season tickets. So we got to kind of pick our games. We want to go to opening day. We always went to um, just a ton of great memories down at the old bush and, and then uh, once I got into high school, especially later on in high school, my junior, senior year, you know, started to get a little bit of attention through some colleges, uh, signed a scholarship to the University of Missouri and uh, had, had planned to go that way. I was kind of a late bloomer. I'm a I'm a June birthday for my age. So I was always kind of the youngest in my class. And um, I just kind of, you know, developed a little bit there my senior year and started getting some some attention from professional scouts. And, you know, I. I had talked to every team and, and for a while there, you thought every team was interested. And then when it really got down to it, there was about five or six teams. I thought I had a chance to get drafted by one of them being the Cardinals and uh, probably the best relationship I had with a scout was the Cardinal scout. And, and uh, they ended up taking me and, you know, you of all the teams and all the chances and opportunities, it's like, man, how crazy is that to be drafted by the hometown team? Um, and then, you know, start the minor league career. I had to figure out, do I want to go to college? Do I sign professionally? I'm a 17 year old kid. Like, what is that? You know, it's a tough decision. Uh, ultimately signed professionally, went to the minor leagues, spent six years there and, um, you know, struggled a lot of it. You know, I struggled a lot of my minor league career. I, I bet you a lot of people, if they look at my minor league stats, they're like, how in the world did this guy make it to the big leagues? Um, and really I just, I kind of outlasted people. I, I stuck around, I had an injury came back from that rehab and then I got a chance. And when I got that chance at a higher level, it, I was prepared for it because of everything that I had done previously, the way I'd been taught and, and coached and, and um, you know, made the most of that opportunity and, and never looked back. And shortly after I got that opportunity and I turned it on, I was in the big leagues and, and uh, you know, spent five years here in St. Louis, made my major league debut here in St. Louis, which doesn't get any better. Um, won a world series here in 2011, just so many great things. And, uh, when you look back, you know, 11 years in the Cardinals organization, growing up as a kid here in St. Louis, it's just kind of, um, kind of crazy to think about. Not many people do that. And, you know, I went from a boy to a man in, uh, in that organization. And, and a lot of people in that Cardinals organization had a, a big part of that. So I'll always be, you know, forever, uh, indebted to, uh, to the Cardinals organization for a lot of different reasons. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to your point that that's gotta be, I mean, obviously I grew up here in St. Louis and, you know, was a kid and went to the Cardinals games all my life. Obviously I never had the opportunity to, to step out on the field and throw a pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals. But what is that? I mean, you, is there jitters when you, for that very first time you step out in the bush and throw a pitch? I mean, what is that experience like considering, you know, not that long ago you were sitting in the stands with your family? <laughs> well, I, you know, at that point you kind of get it out of your head that where you are and who you're for it you know, you have a job to do. And, and yeah. so you have to eliminate that part of it. I mean, you know, you're at home, obviously, and your friends and family are there, but your friends and family are going to be there if you were in Toronto too, you know? So it, 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 I think the six years of performing and, and having to go out there and, and, uh, and pitch in different cities and situations and different teams, it kind of helps prepare you for that. And so when you get out there, you're not thinking about anything other than my goodness, I hope I can get this guy out. You know, I don't want to <laughs> embarrass myself. I want to stay here. You know, I don't want to go back to the minor leagues. And that was really what drove me. And, in spring training that year, I, yeah, I came in with no chance to make the team. And, 
I just wanted to show well. I wanted to show that, hey, if something happens this year, which inevitably is, inevitably is going to happen, I can be a guy you can count on from AAA to come up and get some outs. And, and, and I want to show you that when that opportunity comes, I want to be one of the first guys up. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was my goal in spring training. And, and injuries happened and some guys didn't perform. And next thing you know, there's a spot open and I find myself in it. And, and so I just kept that same mentality. Like, I don't want to go down. I don't want to be sent down. I don't want to go back to riding the bus. You know, I want to, I want to stay here. I want to prove myself that, that I can compete at this level. And, and so the way I saw it, I was the 25th guy on the roster. I was the last guy on the pitching staff and I had to quickly um, start overtaking some of those other guys ahead of me. So when they had to make a decision, it wasn't going to be me. And um, that's just kind of how I looked at it as a ladder. I had to start climbing and, improve my value and worth and you know so that first game of course there's jitters and Matt Hollett is the first hitter I faced it was a one nothing game on opening day in the sixth inning you know so much for for watching Tony throughout the years breaking guys <laughs> in in the minor leagues or breaking guys in for their debuts at like 10 nothing games um, I mean I was in the heat of it and and honestly as a young player I, I couldn't have asked for more I think that honestly had that that scenario in that situation right there is what allowed me to have the length of career I did because I proved my value early on and yeah. showed that I can handle these situations. I never pitched in AAA. I had limited experience in AA, but I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I can go out there and, uh, and I'm a guy you can count on in these tight situations. Nobody wants to be a guy to pitch the mop up games. I mean, that, you know, that doesn't have a lot of value to your team. Right. I want to be somebody that can do it when, when the game's on the line. And, and so for Tony to give me that opportunity early on to me, change the path of my career immediately right away from the first pitch I ever threw gave me the opportunity. Now, if I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready. And that was going to be, you know, that was going to show itself, but I was able to show that I can handle it. Absolutely. So you, you said there earlier that you, you know, you didn't want to go back to the minor leagues and that kind of drove you, you know, I've, I've had Jason Simatachi on this, uh, on this show previously. And, and he kind of talks similarly about, you know, the minor leagues is not, you know, people think, you know, you just graduate college and you go right to the major league baseball and you have you know, maybe a couple of years in minor league, minor leagues, but minor leagues is tough, right? I mean, it's, it's a grind, uh, and you don't make a whole lot of money doing it, right? No, it's a tough place. It's, um, you know, it, it's not, uh, you know, you're getting paid to play baseball. That's true, but you're not getting paid much. I mean, I think the most I ever made in the minor leagues was about $6,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, maybe one year, I think I made eight, uh, the year I went to the Arizona fall league and I got a, you know, we made a lot more going to fall league. I think we made like 1100 bucks a paycheck. Um, maybe 1100 bucks a month but that was uh you know that's just the way it is it's you the the higher up you go you know the 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 phrase they always use is if you don't like it play better you know because the the checks are better at triple a than they are in double a the fields are better in triple a than they are in double a the mounds are better the batting boxes are better the fans there's more fans and it's the same for the big leagues, you know, the paycheck's better in the big leagues and triple A. So if you don't like it in triple A play better. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's kind of the mindset you have to adapt to and, and adopt. And, and um, you know, it's just, it is, it's tough. It, it's and and early on, um, you know, it's about development and that. And, and the later you get, the harder it is because everybody's competing, you know, you get to triple A, double A, triple A guys can sense the big leagues. And uh, then it becomes super competitive and people start looking out for themselves because they want to be the one to get that call. And uh, it, it can be pretty nasty. And, and it's just, uh, you know, long bus rides, long early, early plane rides, uh, playing in these little cities. And uh, it, it's not as, as glorious as everybody thinks, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the 2011 season. Obviously, that's a season that all of us here in St. Louis remember vividly. 
Uh, talk to me about that season and what that season meant to you. Well, it was a, a unique season. It was the first spring training I came in that I was told you're not going to be a starter you're, to prepare for a bullpen role. I had been every year before that kind of on the bubble, kind of a guy that would compete for the fifth spot. Uh, the year before um, was actually told I won the fifth spot, but because of a, a void in our bullpen, I had to go back to the bullpen. So that was a tough conversation to have because I was, I wanted to start um, mostly because I liked the bullpen. I enjoyed that, but I would struggle in the minor leagues and I, I kind of like part of me wanted to prove that I could, I could be a successful starting pitcher and I could do it at the highest level. And, uh, and I thought my stuff fit better for, I wasn't a high, a high velocity guy. I was a, a guy that could spin the ball, you know, change speeds, locate my fastball, had good movement on my fastball. And I thought my stuff fit better in that starting role. Um, and so they were like, Hey, you're going to be in the bullpen full, like full throttle. You, you know, we, we need you down there. So I come in prepared to do that. And first bullpen, Adam Wainwright throws, he announces he has to have Tommy John and they come to me and said, you better get ready to start. <laughs> I was yeah. like, all right. Uh, so quickly I had to uh, ramp up, which was easy for me. I wasn't a guy that needed a lot. Um, and so I entered, you know, started the year as a starting pitcher, as a fifth starter in the rotation. And I was excited about it and got off to a really great start. You know, things were going well. And then um, I actually went on a deal for a hip and it was a day game against Toronto and my hip flared up. And so they put me on the DL. And when I came back from that, I started feeling my shoulder pinch when I was warming up in, in a game in Washington. First game off the deal. I never had any shoulder problems. And I, and I felt it kind of grabbed me a little bit. And I was like, ah, whatever. And slowly as I went over it, that, that grab became more and more prevalent. And I felt it more and more. It took longer for it to go away. And, and then I hit a rough patch where I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't thrown as well. And uh, so the all-star break, they get Edwin Jackson. They put me in the bullpen and um, go down there and, and pitch some big innings and, and helped us, you know, get to the point where we were. Uh, unfortunately, right before the playoffs, uh, the last game I pitched in Houston, I was about done. And uh, Tony and I had a conversation, like, I need a few days off before we get to the playoffs, which stunk because we had to win. And we had to win every, every game to get into that. And we needed uh, Philly to lose, or Atlanta to lose. And uh, so once I got in, I, I just – I wasn't, wasn't myself towards the end there and um, wasn't on the playoff roster for the NLDS, was for the NLCS where I only pitched, I think, two-thirds of an inning um, and then wasn't for the World Series. And, you know, you look at it, it's a bummer. I would have loved – trust me, there's nothing I would love more to be out in the World Series in a, in a huge moment, you know, to come through for your team. But, but I also look at that season and go, man, I did everything I could. I left it all out there so that we had a chance to get there. And uh, when, yeah, you, when you think about a team – uh, you got to have, you got to have great teammates that can help get you there. You got to have more than 25 guys that are going to help get you there. And so at that point, you know, you're counting on uh, Jake Westbrook who came down to the bullpen as a, as a starter normally, and, and really, you know, pitched a, a huge role for us. And, and that probably would have been my spot, you know, and he did a great job in game six and, and uh, you know, it was a big part of us winning. So you look at the team side of it and you're like, Hey, I, I did everything I could. I handed the baton off and, and our team got us across the finish line and, I had a great front row seat for it and uh, tried to be the best cheerleader I could for it. Cause it was, it was awesome. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't get any better than that to have the opportunity to go through the, you know, just to go to the playoffs in general, but then to be a part of the world series and then win it, especially in your hometown. I mean, my goodness, it uh, doesn't get any better than that. I say all the time, that's one thing nobody will ever be able to take away from me in my career is, is that world series ring and that title, you know, when you get announced places, a world series champion, it never gets old hearing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can, I can only imagine, but yeah, that season, uh, 
to your point was, uh, I mean, one that I still get goosebumps on uh, when I hear, you know, the audio or the see flashbacks or highlights or anything. Uh, I was down there for for it. And uh, just what a great memory. But to your point, you're right. That's something that, you know, no one will ever be able to take away from you. But but you're right. It, it you you were a, a crucial part of that entire season. Forget about not being on the World Series roster, but you were a crucial part for a lot of that season. Um, and it takes, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of people to, to make that happen. You know, when I talked to Jason Simatachi, same conversation about to the 2006 world series, he didn't make the roster for that because of an injury. And, um, but you know, mm-hmm. he was still a part of that. Right. And so it's, uh, it's, yep. it's pretty neat to be able to, to say that it, like you said, but also do it in your hometown, uh, that you grew up as a kid watching. So I got to man- imagine that's probably one of your most fondest memories, uh, playing for the playing in the major leagues or, you have any other memories that are probably more fond than that? No, that, I mean, that's it for sure. You know, that like everybody asks, like, what's your top memory? You know, winning the World Series obviously is it. I, I would say right there next to it, if not even with it. I don't know if you could put anything ahead of that, but making my debut here um, on opening day, you know, I'm just so glad it wasn't like, you know, in the Marlins Stadium or, you know, right. Cincinnati or somewhere. Like to do it here, um, especially opening day, as, as we all know how valuable or how, how important uh, opening day is here in St. Louis. Like, man, it was just, uh, gosh, that was just such a cool memory um, to, sure. to be able to run out on that field and hear John Hewlett say your name. And, you know, I've heard, I don't know how many through all the games I've been to, you know, John Hewlett say now making his major league debut, whether it's the Cardinals or another, you know, player from another team. Um, and then to hear him say that about you is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders Podcast, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about life after baseball, and let's talk about your organization, Brace for Impact. Tell me... Tell me what made you start it and kind of the ins and outs of it and, and how it got going. Yeah. So um, my wife and I, when we were playing here, uh, we always wanted to get involved in something and we looked and looked and looked and just couldn't find it. Uh, I'm not a guy that, you know, just puts my name on something and, and kind of let somebody else do it. I like to be involved, uh, especially it has to do with my, my name or my family and, you know, the, our reputation. Um, we wanted to find something, you know, truly impactful and, um, we just couldn't find it. And, you know, not that there's not great organizations out there. It just wasn't what we were, you know, had in mind of what we wanted to get involved in. And, uh, I wasn't necessarily wanting to start something because there's already so many great organizations out there, but we just couldn't find our fit. And so for three years, we looked, we couldn't find it through those conversations. Adam Wainwright's a great friend of mine and uh, Adam and I think very similarly. And I know that if Adam's supporting an organization, it's vetted very, very carefully, very thought out, um, and probably aligns almost perfectly with my wife and I and how we view trying to help organizations and people. And so um, through those conversations with Adam, um, we he was like, I tell you what, um, I actually just had surgery with, I just finished my year with the Rangers, spent most of the year in the minor leagues trying, because my shoulder still wasn't right from the time I left here in St. Louis after five different surgeries. And and, uh, and I kind of had an idea where my career was heading. And so I called Adam and I said, Hey, we got this money that we've set aside, you know, over the, the three years, we got to do something with this. And he said, I'll tell you what, we're going to Haiti in three weeks. Why don't you come with us? 
And so my wife and I, we, you know, I didn't know the first thing about Haiti, to be honest with you, but I knew I was going with a buddy of mine that was uh, doing some cool stuff over there, wanted to see that. And, uh, you know, we'd go, you know, get, uh, get our eyes open and experience something together. And so we jumped on a plane and, and headed over there to see what Adam and his wife had, had been investing in. And really the purpose of that trip for them was to see, is this something we want to continue to invest in, or does it not just happen kind of how we had wanted? And Adam's financial advisor is a Christian financial advisor. And one of his biggest things is you're going to write the check because that's what makes the program go. But writing the check for Adam Wainwright isn't necessarily the sacrifice. The sacrifice for him is time. Yeah. Uh, that, that's more valuable to him than writing a, you know, a $20,000 check. And so his thing is like, you're going to go, you're Cause that's, what's going to change you. Writing the check isn't going to change you, but going and being a part of it. And then what also, so being a steward of those funds to make sure that what you're investing is, is what you think it is uh, and being done the way that you expect it to be done because we have an obligation when we give. And so we were on that trip and, and uh, it just changed our lives. We were honestly, we were purposely looking for something local. Uh, we did not want to do international for you know, a variety of reasons. And um, we got there and we were like, this is it. This is where we need to be. And so we um, agreed to, to partner down there. And so it's our organization um, another partner of ours that, that kind of over has been down in Haiti for over 30 years. We know him from Pittsburgh. He's a chaplain of the pirates, but he's been overseeing this project in Haiti for over 30 years. Uh, and then Adam and his wife were kind of a three headed monster that get to team up and change this community through an orphanage, a school, a hospital, water and sanitation, vocational school, um, a feeding, a couple feeding programs that we do. And, and so we, through the two years, we got to learn so much through that process that I realize that now the reason we went there is because we weren't ready to help in St. Louis. Uh, I think there's a lot of mistakes we would have made that we learned in Haiti about how to truly help people in, in community development. And uh, so two years into our venture down there, we came back to St. Louis, found an amazing partner that we support here locally. And uh, so we get to do both. We get to help locally and we get to help internationally. And, uh, and it's so cool. I think that, you know, originally we hesitated on the international side because we get so many people that are, that don't want to support international or question why we do that and want to talk about, you know, the issues and things that we have here locally. And so I can sit down with that person and say, look, I was there, I get it, but let me talk to you about my experience and, and kind of how I see things now and why our organization does this. And, um, you know, I think a, a lot of people it's opened their eyes. It's led to some great conversations. And, you know, a lot of times people will switch over and they support because they kind of see, you know, the value of people, not necessarily, um, types of people are geographically where people are located, but just people in general. And um, so that's what I get to do. We, we have a small team, only two, uh, two people. I'm a, I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid to, to be a part of this, but, uh, but I get to grow it and use the platform and connections and, and, uh, and people that I made through my playing career. Uh, I get to leverage that in a healthy way now to, to make a difference for people and, and change lives. And it's, uh, it's awesome. It's, it's every bit of, uh, more important and, and more thrilling for me to do this than it was uh, throughout my baseball career. Absolutely. Well, you kind of hit it on a point right there about you're utilizing your voice and your platform to help, you know, not only in Haiti, but obviously here in North St. Louis um, and in the St. Louis area. So how are you utilizing uh, your time in Major League Baseball? Uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're a volunteer, but I'm assuming you're, you're utilizing your connections in the industry um, to help, uh, to help continue to push your efforts and your mission for the organization? Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, I, th I think a lot of people think, oh, well, all your teammates fund this. Well, that's not true. <laughs> what you realize is when you're done playing, you become just like everybody else, um, to current players and former, you're somebody that wants something. And that's where a lot of players, you know, when you're playing, you get asked and, 
and, and um, solicited for just everything. I mean, every day in the locker room, somebody wants something from you. And so you actually become, you just kind of tune it out. Um, yeah. You become numb to it. Um, and some people are good at saying no and some aren't. And, and a lot of people struggle if they don't have those boundaries. And so, um, you know, we have some people, some that I played with or, or current players that, that support us. Um, but that's not really our, our base. Our base is, is people that believe in us and, and what we do. Um, I, I have maybe a little louder megaphone uh, because <laughs> of, of, of my, um, you know, past career and, 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 you know, St. Louis playing here and being a part of this has given me, given me that, you know, given me that opportunity to, you know, great connections in the media and people that will help promote and, and share our story and what we do. And, um, and then it's led to, you know, I'm able to get the people that make decisions for companies that have, that have assets that, that are looking to help. Um, and I think it's, you know, a lot of people come in, they're like, well, the baseball players come in and then we sit down and talk about it and they hear the passion that we have and, and our approach to it and, and how strategic we are and how, how planned out and thoughtful this process is, you know, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, this is a little different than, you know, just some guy that threw a baseball and yeah. uh, you know, as a safe investment and, and some of the companies we have on board, I think is a nice safety net for people to know that, you know, we have some of the top companies in St. Louis that are supporting us through this and, and they don't just support anybody. And so uh, we've been able to build, build a nice portfolio of donors on the St. Louis side, on the Haiti side is very grassroots. Um, we just have great loyal supporters um, that, you know, we have a good so social following. And uh, when we put things out there, people respond when we have challenges and, and, and fundraisers and events and things. And uh, we've been able to, to raise a lot of money and, and really do some cool things through both programs because of that. Absolutely. So for those people listening to this episode, how do we help? How do we as uh, citizens here in St. Louis, um, how do we help you guys further that mission? Yeah. So we have, we're, the way we're set up and, and it's really the way I love it is I don't compete our donors. So like, what are you passionate about? You know, if you're passionate about St. Louis and wanting to help um, through community development, what we do there is, is, is our partner uh, buys houses, uh, purchase houses in a variety of different ways that have been dilapidated and in horrible condition, abandoned. Um, we buy them. Uh, they, they renovate them with all local contractors. So we don't do volunteer work. A lot of people are like, Hey, we want to come down and get our hands dirty and take our kids down there. We're not necessarily the organization for you. Not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with that. That's just not the way we choose to do it. Uh, we choose to support the local contractors that live in and around the community and allow them to be a part of that transformation. We hired a 77% minority rate. Um, our partner does through the, the, the contracting out of these jobs, which we think is very important in the long-term success of the project uh, and the buy-in from the community. Once those houses are done, people, people go, uh, families are placed in there where our partner uh, oversees that process. And then also places a community coordinator with them to where they, they help those families every step of the way. So it's not the home's completed, the family's in, and then we move to the next one. It's um, the home's completed, the family's in, and then we surround that family with the resources they need to be successful long-term. Uh, ultimately, we want the kids. Uh, so that's the only requirement that these families have to have kids in the program so that we can help stabilize them and get them off to a great start and, and uh, to have a hopefully a great future. Um, so if that's your passion, if it's St. Louis and, and, um, and some of the issues that, that, that we have here in, in the North City area of St. Louis, uh, we would love to support on that. On Haiti, where it's, it's a little bit structured differently. We have some programs that, that people can get involved in support there. We have a child sponsorship program where you can go on there and see the 41 kids we have at the orphanage that come with some, some, some e uh, light access, I would say, to some information. We, we're very, very protective of these kids and their stories. Um, there's only a handful of us that know the true stories, uh, the full, I would say full stories, not true stories, uh, full stories of, of these kids and where they came from and um, situations. And we're very protective of that because that's their story. Um, it's not our story. It's not our story to tell. And so, um, 
we, we, we give a little bit of access to the kids and information on that. And, you know, they'll send you some birthday videos and stuff like that. Um, and that goes a long way for us to have that stability to know each month what we're going to have. We also have a, a coffee program that we started two years ago in partnership with Caldi's Coffee. Um, so if you're a coffee drinker, uh, we buy these beans in Haiti, which used to be a massive coffee producer to the world. We bring them over here, Caldi's roast them for us. They bag it for us and we sell it out of my basement. Um, and all the money we make on that coffee goes back to sending kids to our school. We have 330 kids at our school and that's growing every year. And so if you drink coffee, why not drink coffee that, that goes and, and makes a difference and, and helps educate kids in a third world country. Um, and the coffee is really, really good too. It's a, um, a premium coffee that, that Caldi's has done and it's been a great partnership. And uh, we have a subscription model on that. So every three months, you don't have to think about it, just auto bills and shows up to your doorstep. So um, that would be a great option on our website. Or if you just want to give, you know, we, we, that's why I said we on Haiti side, we, we are uh, built on people that donate, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, 500, whatever it is, um, you know, just trusting us to, to be great stewards of the, those funds. And uh, it's been, it's been a great result to this point. So I think that's the, the great thing. I, if, a, if a donor comes and says, Hey, I want to support your organization, some will give and we can place it where it's most needed. But, you know, you have the opportunity to pick what you're passionate about and know that your money's going directly there. It's two bank accounts. They don't cross over. If you donate to North city, it's going to North city. If you donate to Haiti, it's going to Haiti. Absolutely. Well, and to his point, if you guys check out braceforimpact46.com at the top, there's a button for shop and you can find the coffee that he's uh, referencing um, in this episode that you can, you know, purchase a subscription order. There's also some shirts and some other stuff on there that uh, obviously uh, can be purchased as well, but also let us say, check out the website, braceforimpact46.com. Um, some great information on there kind of about their, their cause. So uh, Kyle, I always end this podcast really asking my guests the same question I ask everybody, but which is if you could leave the audience today, the people listening to this episode uh, with a piece of advice, whether that's about uh, baseball in your career or whether that's about your, your nonprofit organization or maybe just life in general, what piece of advice would you give somebody listening to this episode? Uh, somebody asked me that and, I, and I, I don't want to use that same answer because I liked it, but I don't want to use the same <laughs> answer. Uh, something different, I would say something I've really, you know, I think just in the, in the, uh, the season that we're in has come up a lot. Um, and especially I think a lot of people in their business have probably been challenged this last year. There's some that are thriving, you know, just depending on the space that you're in. Um, but there's a lot that are hurting and we, we're in that space that's hurting. I mean, we, you know, as a nonprofit sector goes, um, we're kind of the last rung of this, this, uh, this COVID, um, downfall, um, because people are, you know, holding on and donations were tough this year. Obviously we couldn't do events, things like that, but we made it through and we made it through because of two things, um, surround yourself with, with a great team. And, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily just mean like our, our staff, but our, our donors, um, the way I look at it is like, I need people I can win with. Uh, I need people I can go to that will step up when we need it. And we have that. Um, and then the other thing would say, um, invest in people because in leadership, because the way we've survived this whole thing, we have amazing leadership in our partners that we support. Our Haiti program has run fully. And I, I'm going back uh, this week for the first time in a year. And the great thing is that this, nobody's been down there. No American has been there in a year and they've fully run everything because we've developed great leadership on the ground, local leadership that, that knows how to do things. They don't need us to be there to do it, to hold their hand, to tell them what to do. 
Um, we do our part, which is fundraising. They do it. In North City, St. Louis, we've been there very, very limited because they've been the most affected zip code in St. Louis. But our local leader's there and he knows how to do it and doesn't need us to hold his hand and, and tell him what to do. He tells us what to do um, and, and what's needed. And, and so uh, invest in people, create that leadership. Don't think you know it all. Don't think you can do it all. Find the people that can help assist you and then find a great, surround yourself with great people and, and make a great team. And I can win with a great team no matter, no matter what the scenario is and, uh, and situation. And, and uh, you know, that's how we've made it through this. That's how we've been successful. Absolutely. Those are two great pieces of advice. And I would, I would concur with both of those. So on behalf of the ST Leaders podcast and myself, I appreciate you coming on here today just to talk about not only your baseball career, but the amazing work you're doing here in St. Louis and in Haiti. Um, again, uh, for all those people out there listening to this episode, I check them out at braceforimpact46.com. Uh, great organization and uh, led by one of a great STL leaders. So on behalf of us here at the podcast, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode with David Singer, CEO of Warehouse of Fixtures.